Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. We're going to start a new series on the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. And I was actually supposed to pray this morning. And Rebecca came in and she's like, I didn't know if I was supposed to pray or not. And I'm like, no, you pray. I'm preaching. And then she goes, oh, you're doing the fruit of the Spirit. But I was going to read that passage out of Galatians. Do you want me to change it? No. You know, it's how God is. Isn't that the way it is? He puts it on her heart and he's just, he's just good. The first fruit of the Spirit is a word we hear a lot, love. And, and you know, growing up, I was confused about love and what love was. Because we have one word for love, right? And, and the Greeks, they had four words for love. The first word that they had for love was storge. And storge can best be described as this. Don't you just want to cuddle both the, the little girl and the doggies, right? You're like, look at that. And they're so good. And then you just remember, but they tear up your furniture and your house and everything else. Okay, um, so uh, that's story. It's that kind of, you see a dog, you see a pet, you see, you have natural affection for like babies, right? I look at babies every time I do a baptism, I'm like, you just get lost, right? And it's so beautiful. So the second kind of love is Philadelphia, uh, is philia. It's where we get the word, or where we get the concept of friendship, you know, two people going the same direction, right? Brotherhood, friendship, Philadelphia, brother, the city of brotherly love, right? Philadelphia. Um, and then eros, that's the erotic love. That's the love between a man and a wo- woman, a, a husband and a wife. A- and then you have agape, which is God's love. It's this... In, in the Hebrew scriptures, it's hased, hasid, or you, if you can get that <laughs> sound, which I can't do, um, it's, it's hesed. And it's this kind of love that only comes from God, more than unconditional. It's a love that changes us. And, and growing up, I didn't know about these kind of loves, and I also um, was confused about love. I, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and, and in the 60s and 70s, we talked a lot about love right? The hippie movement was all about free love, right? Remember, some many of you will remember Make Love, Not War. And then on television, we had shows like Love American Style. Now, Love American Style was jumping from one bed to the next bed to the next. They were like these little 15-minute comedy clips, and they almost always ended up in bed. Wouldn't you agree, anybody who was alive then? And then The Love Boat was all about sleeping with the crew, you know? And, uh, and, and so, you know, I grew up on this. And and I was confused about love, you know, and I, I knew that, that love was, had a bigger, broader definition, but I couldn't find it. And then one day in high school, I'm, I was talking to a, a girl, and she was my girlfriend. She said, you asked what love is, and she goes, here it is. Now, she didn't write the passage. She just put love is patient in this letter, love is kind. Love doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude. I'm reading this going, this is love, right? It's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, trusts, hopes, 
Perseveres, I memorized it different. Perseveres, love never fails. And I read that and I said to her, where did you get this? And she said, the Bible. And I didn't believe her, you know, because the Bible couldn't say anything that was relevant to my life or answer any of my life's questions. But she showed me and I was shocked. It was all a part of how God used this to draw me unto himself. I mean, love is something our hearts yearn for. So I want to talk first about the importance of love. And then I want to talk about what is love and then the power to love. Because the Bible really stresses how important love is. Well, I mean, what did the Jewish people say? The Shema, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength. And when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, all the essence of it is love. Paul writes, what really matters is faith expressing itself in love. And when Paul was talking about, and we read earlier, the fruits of the Spirit, the first fruit of the Spirit is love. And why? Why is love so important? Why is it the, the first one in the fruit of the Spirit? And I think it's because love demonstrates the presence of God on this earth. Jesus says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. By the way, love one another wasn't a new command, was it? But as I have loved you is new. Right? Love one another as I have loved you. By this, but when you love like I loved, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So there'll be this mark on the followers of Jesus of love. And somehow God's presence on this earth is made known through how we live our lives and how we love. Jesus says, I command you, to love one another. It's truly important. And then look what 1 John says. He says, whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? It, it, it's like if you, if you are people who are supposed to look like Jesus and, and be love on this planet and you see your brother in need and you don't do something about it or your sister or somebody and you got the ability to do it, does God's love abide in you? I have fail stories. So I'm with Billy. We had ridden our bikes from um, Buffalo, New York to Schenectady. And um, we're walking around the town of Schenectady waiting to take the train back with his roll-on, roll-off service. And there was, um, you know, guys that are begging. And, you know, I'm like, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to help you. You know, and I kind of, the guy's begging. And, and I walk by, and Billy, our drummer, pulls out like two bucks from his pocket, takes the guy's hand, puts it in it, and it's like, Jesus loves you, my brother the love of God in my heart, right? And I'm like going, that is so beautiful, right? How, like, make, use worldly wealth to make friends. You know, Billy is like doing that. And, and this is, I think, what the scripture is talking about. Hey, how can the love of God abide in us when we see people in need and we just walk by? Jesus goes, First uh, uh, John says this, beloved, let us love one another. Love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 
The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So he's like, if you don't have love, you don't know God. There's a litmus test. I know James goes, faith without works is dead, right? Well, if you, if love somehow isn't, a, like, isn't evident in your life, seems like the scriptures are saying, is God evident in your life? I was reading, a, uh, I'm reading three books on the fruit of the spirit right now. And one of them, I, I finished the chapter on love. And oh my goodness, it was full of this kind of talk. I went to bed under the pile that night. Because when you fully think about it, does anybody fully love as they should? Go ahead, raise your hand. <laughs> right? Yeah. He who, the one who does not love does not know God. And this know is this intimate relationship with God. And look at this. We know that we passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Whoa. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Jesus said that. And you know that no murderer has what? This scripture is always, you know, I always think of eternal life as something you're going to have later. But it's saying right now, if you have love in you, it's almost interchangeable. Jesus lives in your heart. Love lives in your heart. Eternal life lives in like, like I have eternal life. But if I'm hating my brother, do I have eternal life in me? So, a few questions for you. How are you doing when it comes to loving others? Here you go. So, are you known for visible love for those who don't share your political views? Right? I'm going to read that again. Are you known for visible love for those who don't share your political views? I don't think anybody was ever screamed into changing their mind. Right? Or put down into changing their mind. Uh, are you known for visible and evident love for those who don't share your theological views? Do you have a love for people who are from a different race or ethnicity? Or what about people who are from different social economic backgrounds? People who have more than you. People who have less than you. you know, like the world is full of people that are different than you. And what is your love quotient? Especially when... Something about them rubs you the wrong way. It's easy to love people who agree with you. Rebecca, by the Spirit, read the scripture I'm going to preach on. I give her a big hug, right? That's easy. But what about the people that are more difficult to love? Is love the primary identifying feature of my life? And would my friends and enemies agree? You ask yourself that. Like, what, like at your funeral, where they go, Martin loved. You know, played a mean guitar and loved, right? You see what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, is that what they're going to say about us? Jesus is like, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you play guitar. No, they know you're my disciples by love. Look at this. Everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, 
Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Jesus replies, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Which is interesting because is lawlessness prophesying or casting out demons or working miracles? Isn't this interesting? You see, I think there's a, a, something that can happen in our lives where we can confuse our spiritual gifts with spiritual fruit. So I can go, Lord, I preached many good sermons and some bad ones. I must know you. Look at all the people whose lives have been touched, right? I teach Sunday school. I volunteer. I sing. I play guitar. Like whatever it is, Lord, I volunteer at the homeless shelter. I feed the poor. Look, I love you. Look what I'm doing for you. And there's a big difference, and they aren't to be confused. There's a difference between the spiritual gifts and spiritual fruit. And when we confuse the two, we can start going, well, I'm performing well for you, God. You must be pleased with me. I must know you. And this is what Paul is talking about right before the verse in Corinthians that I read earlier. He says, if I speak in tongues of men and angels but don't have love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. So if you have these spiritual gifts but you don't have love, he'd say, love's better than the spiritual gift, right? If the gift, I have the gift of prophecy or know all mysteries and have all knowledge and all faith. So you got all these wonderful things that God can do through you. And yet, if you have not love, you're nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor, to feed the poor, surrender my body, be burned, but don't have love, it profits me nothing. Years ago, I went to this church and the pastor was a very good preacher and I was a new Christian. And there was kind of a revival going on there. I mean, they just would fill that church on Wednesday nights. And I had an appointment with the pastor. And I don't remember why exactly, but maybe it was to talk about ministry. And I get into his office, like, after the service. And he is barking orders like a drill sergeant at secretaries and different people. And, you know, I'm new. So I'm like, I guess this is how pastors are. You just give orders all the time, right? Not real loving, just bark this, bark that, you know. And, um, and I realized later in life, no, you don't treat people like that. That's not it. I don't care if you preach like Paul, but if you don't have the love, and, and this is a warning for us, that when we look at our lives, the goal is to know Jesus. The gifts are empowered by that knowing and that, that loving you know, do you ever wonder um, what holiness looks like? I think holiness looks like the fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes when we're like, oh, Lord, your word says be holy just as you are holy. And we think somehow we're supposed to just like float around or something, you know, or I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls or do. A good cigar every once in a while is very holy. Okay, um, but look at the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. The Spirit of God in you, who's holy, God, is producing that. That's holiness. You want to know holiness? Look at the fruit of the Spirit. That is Christ in you. That's the image of God in you, the fruit of the Spirit. So, so why is love important? Because love is like the stamp of God on this earth through his church. Now, what is love? Well, First John says it there. God is love. 
God is love. So love is a manifestation of God in your life and in my life. And I have to think that the father sacrificed for the son. I don't totally get what begotten means, but somehow as the father loved me, so I loved you. Jesus' love for us was giving and sacrificial. And somehow I think the father's love somehow in the Godhead, in the Trinity, had to be what what was sacrificial and life-giving. So what is love? God is love. So I want to look at a little bit about some attributes of God. Now, sometimes we can get confused. We can go, God is love, therefore, love is God. We can go, God is love, therefore, love is God. So all loving, and and philosophers will talk about how love is God. And then we start thinking about how God is like, you know, a grandpa and grandma, right? The little kid does something a little bit wrong, and they're like, it's okay, Johnny, you know, no worries, right? You know, and yet... Theologians talked about the wrath of God, uh, Luther did, as the alien work of God. So God is love, but there's this other aspect of his love that's just as real and even somewhat evident in our lives too. Theologian Mirsov Vol in this book over there that I can't see because I don't have my glasses on. Um, here it is. Uh, free of charge said this. Now, Miroslav Vol was a politician and he is a theologian and he didn't really believe in a wrathful God until his country experienced war. He says, I used to think that wrath was unworthy of God. Isn't God love? Shouldn't divine love be beyond wrath? God is love And God loves every person and every creature, and that's exactly why God is wrathful against some of them, he writes. My last resistance to the idea of God's wrath was was a casualty of the war in the former Yugoslavia, the region from which I came. According to the estimates, 200,000 people were killed, and over 3 million were displaced. My villages, cities were destroyed. My people shelled day in and day out. Some of them brutalized beyond imagination. And I could not imagine a God who would not be angry. Or think of Rwanda in the last decade where 800,000 people were hacked to death in 100 days. How does God react to that carnage? By doting on the perpetrators in a grandparently fashion? by refusing to condemn the bloodbath, but instead affirming the perpetrator's basic goodness? Wasn't God fiercely angry with them? Though I used to complain about the indecency of the idea of God's wrath, I came to think that I would have to rebel against a God who wasn't wrathful at the sight of the world's evil. God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. He goes on, and he says, once we accept the appropriateness of God's wrath, condemnation and judgment, there's no way of keeping it out of the reserved for other categories. You know what he's saying? He's saying you look out and you're like, yes, what happened in Rwanda? Yes, what's happening out there? Yes, what happened in the city of Cleveland, right? But he said we have to bring it home. I originally resisted the notion of a wrathful God because I dreaded being 
the wrath's target. I still do. I, I know I couldn't just direct wrath against others if it were a, as if it were a weapon I could aim at targets I particularly detested. It is God's wrath, not mine. The wrath of the one impartial God, the lover of all humanity. And if I want the wrath to fall on evildoers, I must let it fall on myself when I deserve it as well. Yeah, so love isn't just mushy, gushy, right? It's also anger and angry at things that are wrong. And every parent knows it, right? You discipline your children because you want them to, to grow and learn, right? And, and we admit when, when we've done wrong, we're like, Lord, that, 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 that evil, that sin put you on the cross. Jesus, you, you have wrath against sin and you bore that wrath on the cross and I repent, I turn from it unto you. And you know when else, uh, when, we, when we understand God's judgment, we are truly able to love one another. We live in a world right now that's all about tolerance and no judgment and acceptance. But what happens when the people who preach tolerance, no judgment and acceptance, when you mess up and you fall out of their grace, what do they want to do? Cancel you. That's exactly right. I mean, recently, I don't know these people, but uh, CNN anchor Don Lemon uh, is on paid leave because he said Nikki Haley is not in her prime. I don't think she is. And neither am I, right? You know, I mean, what's he saying? She's past year, whatever. You know, hey, you get paid leave, dude. And, that, and that's an, an easy thing, right? I mean, when people mess up, there's this desire to cancel them because you know what happens if you don't believe God will ultimately judge sin who has to judge it you do you you become and your posse your group your tribe you're the people who believe like you you have to be the one who extracts vengeance against them but when you believe there's a God who will take vengeance in his own hands then you can go God that's that's bad, you can call it what it is, but you can say, I trust you with that. And then you can forgive and begin to love your enemies, which is the second thing that I think God's love is a love for his enemies, right? I mean, what kind of God would pray from the cross, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And I don't, I don't like the thought of loving my enemies, but guess what? For while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. I think the power to love our enemies, I'm probably getting ahead of myself, comes when I see myself as God. You love me, an enemy of you. right? And then he says, now you go do the same. Look, I live in you. The enemy lover lives in my heart. You, know, you go do the same. That's why he could say, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those which uh, despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be children of your father. So when we love our enemies, who do we look like? God. I mean, this is crazy. This is like this, 
this kind of love like entered the world through Christianity, right? There was nothing like this before Christianity, right? The gods were never appeased. You offered your offering to them, hoping that they would like you or whatever. And like it just, they, they were never appeased. And here comes a God who loves his enemies. He gave. You know, greater love has no one than this but to lay down his life for his friend. We have a giving love in God, a sacrificial love. Years ago, I went to India and I toured the temple to the god Kali. It's the god of death. And I saw that particular idol. And I saw people in there on their knees, on their face, having a religious experience, shaking, quaking in front of that idol. And I saw these little baby goats that they were sacrificing to this idol. I also got to ride an elephant while I was there. Um, and, and, and what's happening here is you have to give something and on this altar in the temple is an idol. Contrast that with the altar that was set up in the Holy of Holies, in, in the tabernacle or the, the temple that Solomon built. There was nothing on it. They'd sacrifice the animal outside and they'd just sprinkle blood all over the place. And, and I, Tim Keller said it, but somebody else did too. It's as if what is happening there is my life for yours. See, I think that's love. Greater love is no one than this, but to lay down his life like my life for yours. What is love? It's my life for yours. Can I say that Christians should be uncomfortable? Because it is uncomfortable to love your enemies. It is uncomfortable to forgive. Forgiveness feels like death. Loving your enemies feels like death because you have to absorb the hurt, absorb the blow, let it pass through you right into Christ. It, it is not fun to love, right? Moms and dads know that. Your kids wake you up in the middle of the night. You know, what do you do? Right? Your kids have needs when you don't have energy. What do you do? You love, right? Like, to love is to be uncomfortable. To love is to sacrifice. To love is to think of others' needs higher than ourselves. This is the essence of love, and this is when we start looking like Jesus. This is how God's love was revealed among us. He sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. And love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. So where do we get the power to love? I wish I could re-preach last night because as I was thinking about this, I'm like, oh, I should have made this point loud and clear. But I'll make it today. Um, you know, Jesus said, you want power to love? Abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing right? It's like you pull a branch off a tree, what's going to happen? It dies, right? You leave the branch connected to the tree and it lives. I can't love in and of myself. I need the power of God in me to live his life in and through me. I, I, the gospel is this, Jesus died for you to 
give his life to you, to live his life in you and through you. Christ in you, the hope and glory. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. You see, I think the power to love comes not by focusing on, oh, I'm not a very good lover. That never does work, right? You don't look at the fruit. You know what you do? You let your roots go down into the soil. Look how Paul prayed. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derive its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge and to be filled up to all the fullness of God. Isn't that beautiful? Like how I can't love and I can't love by focusing on my actions of love, but when I focus on what Christ did for me, when I let my roots grow down into, oh God, here I am, I know that I'm, I fail at being somebody who represents you on this earth, but you love me anyways. And the more I get that, the more I actually do love people better. Because you know what? When they fail me, I, um, I, I go, well, I failed Jesus, and he still loves me. I can love as he loves me. We need to be people who learn to flip the script, Right? When somebody treats you poorly, instead of focusing on how they treated you, turn the script and go, yes, Lord, they treated me bad. Yes, it hurts. Maybe I'll talk to them depending on how serious or whatever it is. But in the meantime, how many times have I disrespected you like that? How many times have I disregarded you like that? How many times have I treated you like talk to the hand and you do not crush me? but you love me. See, that's the source. That's getting your roots down, right? Getting those roots down. And the more we get his love, the more we love others. And the less we get it, the less we love others. Recently, I had a situation where I felt like snubbed or taken advantage of. And I just started thinking, wait, what is it like to be in their shoes? And and I started getting empathy, And I started thinking how the scriptures say, and God heard the cries. And I'm like, Lord, thank you that you're empathetic towards me. And then my heart changed towards them. Right? It was was a different story. Now, we're going to be going through the fruits of the Spirit. And I, I have a prayer that I've adapted that John Stott prayed. You probably don't know who he was, but he's a theologian. And I'd like you to pray it at least through Lent. It's on the back table. You may have gotten one when you came in. Take two if you'd like. And what I'm hoping is that we're going to all be more fruitful at the end. I'm hoping God will answer our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving your son. I pray this day that I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, thank you for carrying your cross for me. I pray this day that I may take up my cross and follow you. That's love. Holy Spirit, I pray this day that you will fill me with yourself 
Cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Like, what what if God starts answering this prayer? Ask, and it shall be given. Uh, and, And know this. We do our best, but God knows what we really need, and he puts us through painful situations. So I'm a better lover. You ever been shocked by a painful situation? I've been shocked before. And I'm like, Lord, Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. We sang, even what the enemy means for evil, he's working for our good and for his glory. And there are times where we're pruned, whether it's the enemy, whether it's the hand of God, God's still in control because he's going to work it out for our good. And it's going to make us more like Jesus and more loving. But it's hard. You may go through physical therapy, so to speak, of the soul, and you're going to have to work into the pain, and loving is going to be uncomfortable, and loving is not going to be fun, but you're going to work through it and work through it slowly. And then lastly, how do we love? Sometimes we just have to do, and feelings follow, right? Sometimes, you know, you don't feel like loving Or we look for feelings and they're not there and we say, Lord, I'm just going to act because you said love and I'm going to, I hope that my heart follows. And I don't know if this is a true story, but it's a good story. It's written as if it's true. Um, George Carnes was a minister and he was also a newspaper columnist and he was a pastor. And, And a woman full of hatred towards her husband came into the office and said, I hate my husband. I not only want to get rid of him, I want to get even with him. I want to hurt him like he's hurt me. So the pastor said, okay, I got an idea for you. Go home. Act like you really love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait he has. Go out of your way to be kind, considerate, generous as possible. Spare no effort to please him, to enjoy him. Make him believe you love him. And after you've convinced him of your undying love and that you cannot live without him, Wait about two months to convince him, then drop the bomb and tell him, you're getting a divorce. That'll really hurt him. She's like, great idea, pastor. (laughs) So with revenge in her eyes, she smiled and left the office. Now, two months later, he's like, why hasn't she called me? You know, she's going to tell me she's getting a divorce. And so he calls her and says, hey, um, what's happening? She says, well... I'm, I'm never getting a divorce because I discovered I really do love him. Her actions changed her heart. Pray with me. Lord, I pray that um, your actions towards us would change our heart and that we could be a people who, by your grace, by your spirit, bear the fruit of love. Lord, some of us maybe feel stunted. I, I pray that prayer that Paul prayed, that the eyes of each of our hearts could be opened and ripen our fruit here. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.